Hey everybody, this is the Broke Down Podcast. My name is Jonathan and this is episode number 47. I can't believe we made it this far. Thank you for sticking with us and thank you for coming back. And if you're new, thanks for joining us. Broke Down Podcast is a part of the Osiris Network. Osiris connects you with podcasts, videos, and live experience on the artists and topics that you love. So visit OsirisPod.com and check out our shows. Osiris works in partnership with Jambase, which connects music fans and the music they love and empowers them to go see live music. So check them out at Jambase.com. Speaking of Osiris and podcasts and live music, I hope you are keeping up with the Helping Friendly Podcast Quick Hits. We are tracking the fish tour as it happens. Every day after the show, we post a quick hit talking with hopefully a person who was at the show the night before and getting their impression, playing you a good clip of what happened and trying to get generally a picture of what went down. So check out the Helping Friendly podcast at hfpod.com or other great podcasts at osirispod.com. All right. So let's talk about news. Dead and Company tour is rolling on. I've been listening here and there, and there's definitely some good stuff happening. So catch them if that's your thing. Phil was at the Cap in Port Chester for some Phil and Friends shows. Uh, the friends were Graham, Rob Bracco, John Molo, Yorma. Freaking Yorma. Anyways, those two shows were really good and worth your time. You should go seek them out and have a good listen. I had a blast digging into them. The Grateful Dead meetup at the movies, as I mentioned last time, has been officially announced. Tickets are on sale. Of course, it's going to be on August 1st, as usual. It's going to be Giant Stadium 91. And, well, you should get with that. I know I'm going to. I'll see you there. Well, probably not. Unless you're in my local movie theater. In which case, say hi. What else we got? Okay, um, also, I've seen word of a 5LP vinyl release of 22869 from the Fillmore West coming in July so keep your eyes open July is just about upon us so get on that um what else let's see ooh there's a new Prana Crafter album coming out uh, you may recall we talked with Will Soul last July he's a uh, he's a killer psych guitar wizard guy and he's a deadhead uh, this record, Symbios, is actually a split with an equally excellent guitar guru who goes by the name Tarot Plane, like tarot cards, D-A-R-O-T. Uh, it's due out on August 16th on Beyond Beyond is Beyond Records, and you can pre-order it now via bbib.bandcamp.com. So check into it. Also worthy of note are two records, from a previous guest, Jeffrey Alexander of Dire Wolves. He was on the show a while back, and he's got, as I said, two records on the way. The first is called Grow to the Light, and it's on Beyond Beyond is Beyond. It's delightfully groovy, maybe a bit brighter in color than the last one, but that just might be when I happen to spin it. Jeffrey also has another record, a solo record, entitled Meditations for Beowulf, coming out on Feeding Tube Records really soon. This one is a bit darker, a bit more personal in tone. It's not for the faint of heart, but possibly for the introspective of minds. One track decidedly leans in the direction of some Matt Valentine work, which is a very good thing in my opinion. You remember Matt, he was 
on talking about his wet tuna record last year. Anyways, I'm only just beginning to dig into this thing, but I can see myself going back to the well quite a bit. That comes out on July 19th on Feeding Tube. So what do we have for you today? Our episode is entitled... What is our episode entitled? Visionary Americana? It's also previously been titled Visionary Guitar and American Primitive. But Visionary Americana is kind of a weird, vague term. And the thing is, there's no one term that is appropriate for all these guys that we're talking to today. And yet, as I think you'll find, there are common threads. Originally decided to do this episode after a few things occurred. The four artists we're featuring came to me via different channels. Two I'd met personally before I heard them play. The other two I reached out to after hearing their records. I've wanted for some time to do something that surveyed in part the broad landscape of what's sometimes called American primitive guitar music. That label's kind of a sketchy one, as you'll hear in these discussions, but it does conjure a certain set of sounds to mind, at least for some of us. John Fahey, a name you'll hear often in this episode, and one you should find the time to explore if you don't already know him, he bore the mantle of American primitive guitar, as applied to his own finger-style steel string guitar playing, built on blues traditions in part, to something more experimental and unique. You'll also hear mention of the so-called Tacoma School of Guitar, which references the label that Fahey started, named for his hometown, and he went on to release not just his own records, but records from the likes of Robbie Basho, Buckle White, Harry Tossig, Leo Kotke, Dobro Great Mike Aldridge, and more. Overall, these records range pretty widely in styles, but the earliest material features a sort of commonality that you'll hear today. So we've got four artists, each of whom has at least one recent record out or on the cusp of release, We'll take them one at a time with a little introduction beforehand, and then uh, we'll play a cut of theirs after the talk. Beyond all of that, I promise, we got some Grateful Dead. So first up, Andy McLeod is based in Charlottesville, Virginia, although from the Philadelphia, PA area. He's a multi-instrumentalist who's put out a number of records. Late last year, he released the CD Mug Hummies, which was the first recorded work I'd heard from him. His most recent release is a digital EP entitled Sighting. You can find these on his Bandcamp page, andymcloud.bandcamp.com. But uh, let's uh, go ahead and get into it. Thank you for uh, taking the time to talk to me. Yeah, no Uh, problem. Kind of excited. I'm putting together a little episode all on... mm, I, I, I'd say American primitive, but that might be a little overly broad or easily shrugged off of a label. It, I, um, yeah, it's an interesting label because everybody kind of has a different view on like if it should be used for anything outside of John Fahey himself. Like, was his project kind of a singular project or has it since become a sort of identifier for, for people who follow in his footsteps? Right. So to speak, you know, or or some who you know maybe use his material or yeah. sound as a launching point for their own voices. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, That's mostly it, what it is. <laughs> I feel like I feel like it's like a a language, like, and you're kind of just speaking in that language. 
it's like a style of guitar that is its own thing where you're trying to take on the rhythm and the melody at the same time and tell a story with it as well you know yeah cool i like i like that perspective of it so i i wanted to tell the listeners here that we we actually met uh, i think it was last year on a yeah back, so on a, in the summer yeah it was a back porch at a house party that daniel was daniel bachman was playing yeah and since then i, I know you told me you were a musician at the time and we had a good chat, if I although I honestly yeah, don't recall. Yeah, fun and stuff. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't recall all the details of it, but I remember it was a nice talk. Um, yeah. And and since then, you've released a CD, uh, Mug Hummies. Yeah, Mug Hummies, yeah. Which is terrific and kind of wide-ranging. Really knocks yeah. the dust off some of the, the so-called American primitive, if it were <laughs> such a thing. Um, and then uh, you've got a new EP that just came out i don't know do you call it an ep or is it a single all those like, yeah it's kind or... of both it's like it's essentially the next thing i put out is going to be a lot of guitar so it's like a no guitar there is a 12 string on it but there's no six string guitar on it so it's all like a, like either sampling or sort of different various stringed instruments and it's kind of more experimental because i'm, gonna, I'm about to put out an album of like a lot of guitar music so i wanted to sort of put out the shit i've been working on that doesn't have that in it the uh the, the parts in the middle there uh and yeah that's, that's called sighting and that's also mm-hmm. really neat and um so you, Thanks, you, you've got this other record on deck when when do we when are we going to see that well i think i'm going to record it in august so it probably will come out in the fall or something like that cool cool well, yeah I'm, I'm looking forward to that that's that's quite a flurry of stuff Although you've been at it for a little while, I think. Um, yeah. I, I wasn't quite aware how many things you put out until I really started kind of digging into into your stuff. I mean, I got. Oh yeah. I got mug honey. Uh, I'm gonna say it wrong here. I got mug hummies uh, <laughs> right after Christmas. I know it came it had come oh, okay. out a little while before that, but Sarah actually sent me. A link to it. She said you got to check this out, and so I. Oh, cool. I bought it on the Bandcamp and. And then sat down. I was at the beach down in North Carolina, and I, I sat out outside on the porch, looking at the dunes and the ocean, and listening to the ocean and the wind and the record all at the same time. Was, oh wow, that must have been special. It was pretty great. I was I was reading That's a really cool. good book yeah. and kind of just um, so so now that that album is kind of captured right in that moment for me. Wow, I, cool man. I put it on. Well, that's so. good to hear. It's connecting with with you. Yeah, it's it's terrific um so i want to we'll talk about some of the other releases and talk about that but i, I want to go back a little bit and ask you when you started playing something i like to ask everybody that i have on yeah well i started playing kind of late i think i i spent most of the years that a lot of people get started around like 13 14 i spent all those years skateboarding that was what i was obsessed with so i kind of came that's cool to music in when I was in school and I was kind of like um you know taking psychedelics and experimenting with different stuff and like it it just sort of felt like a a need to express myself with sound because I'd always been like a huge appreciator of music and now that I felt like I had this perspective on it that was kind of more influenced by psychedelics I wanted to try it myself so I was like experimenting with like loop pedals and electronics at first and that was kind of what i wanted to do was like experimental like electronic music laying beat samples and like 
overlaying guitar over top of it and stuff like that. But then I heard Jack Rose and he was a, for people who don't know, he was a uh, Kensington based, but or Kensington, Philadelphia based, but uh, Fredericksburg, Virginia born uh, guitar player, extremely influential in his, in, in like the, you know, small circle of sort of like early 2000s psychedelic folk that people were obsessed with for a while. Jack was a big figure of that stuff. And uh, I kind of heard him and then discovered John Fahey and went down the rabbit hole of this whole thing, you know. <laughs> so, so you started with Jack and went down to, back to John. Yeah. That's cool. Did you spend some time on Pelt? Cause I did. I love Pelt. When I discovered Pelt, I was like, this is amazing. Yeah, it's the real. I mean, Mike Angloff is, you know, a huge influence on me as well. All three, like Jack um, and his, you know, musical partners while he while he was still here. Um, he passed, unfortunately, but the people he used to play with, like Nathan Bowles and Mike Gangloff, are big influences on me as well. And, like, both of them are in Pelt. It's funny, I actually, I bought a Pelt record ages and ages ago, and I knew who Jack Rose was, and I'd heard one of his records. But I, I bought this Pelt record, it didn't say who was in the band. And oh, I, I didn't have discogs on my, you know, my low low end cell phone at the time because it was quite some quite some years ago and so yeah. i had no idea that the two were connected when i actually had them both but uh it, just a mind-blowing sort of sequence oh i know of, they're it's of, crazy of so much energy so um yeah you you started playing with noise uh, almost noise sounds like a little electronic yeah. beats and yeah there's um have you have you ever have you ever heard of the label uh, Not Not Fun Records? Rings a like bell. Two, they were like they were putting out a lot of content. What I would call like I guess contemporary psychedelic music, like kind of people uh, who were you know making experimental music that I had never really heard before, and that had a big influence on me early on. But yeah, once I found once I started playing fingerstyle guitar, I learned I had the opposite trajectory of a lot of guitar players, which I think ended up helping me instead of bogging myself down with theory or like standard tuning and chords right away. I just like learned with open tunings cause that's what I was really, you know, interested in John Fahey and stuff like that. So I started with open tunings and then in order to learn how to play Appalachian string band, like old time music, I, I learned uh, standard tuning after open so i sort of went oh, backwards wow. which yeah which i think was like both difficult in a lot of ways like retraining my hand to play flat picking guitar has been really tough but in a lot of ways i think it helps me not get boxed in early on by musical theory and stuff like that you have a record called in the light of day which kind of treads the line a little more towards uh a little more. T well, it's it's a it's a kind of a band record. You've got a, a yeah. group on there with you, which is a little. It's uh, not as common in this genre, this very broad yeah. genre, but not without precedent, of course. Fahey did it. Yeah, and plenty of sure. Folks have. That was really a based out of like who I was playing with in Philly at the time. I think everybody. I sort of like there was this fortunate period for a while where there were just a ton of musicians who are all collaborating with each other. So it was this nice. Uh, excuse to put everybody that I could on the record who I had been kind of playing music with at the time. Well, that's pretty cool. And, yeah, and the result fun. is terrific, actually. I, I, oh, thank I hadn't you. heard that one until I was 
preparing for this and I, I was like, oh, let's click on, what's this one? Holy cow. Yeah. Uh, I had a real good time with it. And then there was one, and I don't have it in my notes. There's one I think is a it's like a duet record that is really more of old time music. Um, are you talking about Dalmadar and McLeod? That's the one. So that one, um, I, I had a really a, a lot of fun with. That was with this fiddler who's still based out of Philadelphia. His name's Chris Dalmadar. Everybody should check him out. Um, and my brother played banjo uke on that record. So there's actually three of us on most of them. Okay. And it's like. It's like ragtime and Portuguese music and like uh, old time and, you know, string band tunes and stuff like that. Yeah. Again, really terrific. Uh, oh, I, thanks. I had yeah. a good time blazing through these uh, in the past few days. Just kind of like, oh, I need to know more about this one. I need to know more about <laughs> this one. Um, you um, So you've talked about how using psychedelics maybe pushed you into wanting to express yourself musically. And yeah. in the actually in the notes for In the Light of Day, you refer to psychedelic as, a, you know, an adjective for this uh, this that record. Um, yeah. You see that label applied kind of sporadically. Yeah. Well, I go with the most basic example as opposed to like attaching it to a genre. I just think of anything that is mind expanding to me is it fits that definition. So like music that is either visionary so like it it comes to you in in some sort of like vision way in a way that is that helps you transcend or or seems to like be coming from something beyond your personal consciousness or something like that or just music that is you know unusual to the senses and is like strange or like you know mind expanding in some way challenging in some way not just like accessible and catchy and fun although that stuff can be great too but when I typically like if I'm describing music as psychedelic, I, I'm kind of just referring to its ability to like take you to a different place or, you know, help you transcend something like that. Cool. I, I think I may have to excerpt that uh, definition and uh, play it for people from time to time because <laughs> nice. that very clearly expresses my own feeling of it. There was a point where when I was younger that to me psychedelic music meant things like space in the grateful dead show or yeah uh you know obviously dark star or you know certain 1960s bands and then at some yeah. point and there is that i feel like it can exist as both like there is psychedelic as a style like 13th floor elevators like there is like that is a sound but it, if i like to me it's more about like uh the way that the music like where it takes you and 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 how it transports you etc absolutely there there i was yeah. just going to say there came a point where i was listening to uh you know a bluegrass wasn't bluegrass it was more of a progressive newgrass kind of thing and something that they were doing on the record uh, just really it got off the ground in a certain way i was yeah. like wait a second oh that stuff can be really weird yeah for sure uh, and it and really I, and it like, turned my head quite a bit yeah yeah that stuff can definitely be transportive so it and from there on it's you know the the definition or the application of the word psychedelic when respect to music has been uh far more i don't want to say liberal because I would hate to think I over apply it, but it's been uh, yeah. you know more open mindedly applied. It's yeah, open mindedly is that a thing? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> I think that I think I think that that kind of comes with psychedelics being ma like more mainstream and less 
niche in this small community of post 1960s like nostalgic people like psychedelics are completely well not completely but but have become ubiquitous in a lot of ways in the culture including like when you have people microdosing who have you know high level jobs and stuff like that i mean that's not the ideal way that i prefer to consume them but it's certainly a change from when i was growing up yeah it's, it's certainly notable it's it's not what we did back in the day um <laughs> but hey you know whatever works for you i guess yeah and, uh, and if it and, and to me it's like Normalizing them and destigmatizing them is always a good thing, even if like the way that the, the, the microdosing thing is like being done is like not, you know, is not for spiritual transcendence. Like it helps to destigmatize it, which is, I think is a good thing. Right, and you know, even if you're not striving for spiritual transcendence, sometimes just learning to get out of your own head and out of your oh yeah out of your own way is. Uh, is enough it's it's certainly a thing that we should all aspire to consider doing yeah totally so um man this is exactly what what i was hoping we could get into so this this is terrific um i i won't take up any more of your time tonight uh but maybe maybe we should talk again um yeah but uh before i go is there something on either of you know sighting or mug hummies that you think i should play for everybody Oh man! Well, I my favorite thing on the new one on sighting is this like minute and a half long track called "Washed Up." Um, that is just a series of samples that I found, and I it just cracks me up. I like that track because of the the I was I was listening to it's I was dialing back and forth between like uh, Christian hymnal radio and uh just finding some other weird stuff on like am radio and stuff like that and just happened to get a good collection of them in one night on the road and so that thing is just a various uh it's a kind of a collection of weird samples so maybe that one yeah (laughs) okay and then maybe we'll uh steer it after that we'll we'll throw them something because that's not very long throw them something with a little guitar or something after that yeah so uh Oh, all right. Well, Andy, thank you. I'm looking forward to the new record uh, when that hey, comes. Hey, no problem. But uh, we'll link everybody to the uh, the the current and previous stuff. And uh, yeah, uh, look forward to talking to you again. All right, sounds good, man. Take it easy. Ideals are the same, and they are important to the people who follow them. Our servicemen are helping to maintain goodwill by observing the customs of other people in other lands. figured out that he could win this game so he got a bunch of his friends to pool in their money so they became as time went on professional cash windfall players recruiting their friends and raising money from backers until they too were spending hundreds of thousands of dollars
Okay, so that was a great, great conversation with Andy. Thank you to him for coming on. And then after that, we heard Washed Up from the release Sighting and A Heron Takes Flight from the album Mug Hummies. You can get both of those at Andy's Bandcamp page, andymcleod.bandcamp.com. So check them out. So next up, we have Joseph Allred. Joseph has a number of records and tapes out. This year he put out a cassette entitled Night Songs, and his new album O Meadowlark is due out on July 5th on Feeding Tube Records. I mean, you've got, what, three releases slated for this year? You've got Aspirant and Night Songs were cassettes that came out on Garden Portal already. Um, and then you have O Meadowlark coming out on Feeding Tube Records in July. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've listened to... I've listened to all of these, actually, and they're uh, they're all quite different, but they seem to be connected by uh, you know some sort of compositional voice. Um, when did you start playing, and where and what sort of stuff were you playing at first? Um, I think when I was twelve or so is when I got my first guitar, and I was really into heavy metal for a long time. Cool. The uh, first, the very first song I ever uh, learned how to play on the guitar. My dad showed me how to play uh, Iron Man by Black Sabbath. And I've still got, I've got Paranoid on this record shelf right back here behind me on vinyl. It has nice. a skip from War Pigs. It's been there for as long as I've been alive. <laughs> um, I didn't start getting into this fingerstyle stuff until... So I started my first band pretty quickly. and was just in a band pretty much constantly some band or another for about 10 years or so. And then I was in college and a band I was in broke up and I didn't have anything to do other than just kind of play by myself. And I got really interested in what all I could do just with the acoustic guitar. And I'd heard of John Fahey. I remembered seeing his, uh, I think he was on the cover of guitar player magazine, like back after his kind of rediscovery and reactivity. Right. It's been, he was, white beard and he looked really mean on the album cover <laughs> so i kind of got back into that and i had heard of uh like i said i heard black sabbath really early on and led zeppelin and Jimi hendrix and some of this really blues based music and i always heard people talking about robert johnson and Sunhouse and skip james and some of that old blues stuff so i kind of got into that um and was just really interested in what all i could do with just uh an acoustic guitar bottle it was capable of. And about how long ago was that, that you kind of made that uh, directional change? Um, I started dabbling with that in, it was 2007. Then I joined a, like a doom metal band and kind of got back into playing really loud stuff for a while. But it wasn't until um, 2011 is when I really sat down and started uh, to compose stuff and, uh, and to take this guitar stuff a lot more seriously. And I had kind of bottomed out uh, uh, just with a lot of personal stuff that was going on. And then my dad got diagnosed with cancer, and he died six months after that. My way of dealing with all that was to... Um, I just really needed a world I could kind of retreat into where I didn't have to depend on... Um, a band practice or electricity or a pedal board or anything like that. So it's been uh, 2011, I would say, is when I really started to 
Like that's when I like wrote my first songs on the acoustic guitar. Well, and you've um, you've developed a nice you know a, a voice as a player, and I've noticed that you. Um, uh, yeah, I follow you on Instagram. I've noticed from that that you seem to play just about anything with strings. Are you? Uh, what What else do you play, or or maybe don't you play? Whichever is easier to. Um, the only thing I've been taking even remotely seriously, other than the guitar, is the uh, the oud. There's uh, I'm in a Middle Eastern Studies Master's program at Boston College right now because I'm in Boston instead of Tennessee. I moved up here about three years ago. Um, and I play in the Middle Eastern Music Ensemble at school. So I've been playing oud and actually learning how to read. Um, I took piano lessons for a while when I was really young and learned how to read music a little bit, but I just never really used that that much until I just in the last year or so I've been learning a little bit about um, Arabic music and some of the, um, the kind of improvisational and compositional approach that Arabic music has and Turkish and Persian and Indian music all share a lot in common. Another one of the instruments that I've that you might have seen on Instagram is a thing called a tambur, which is an Iranian thing. Um, and it's influenced my technique on the guitar a lot. But I would say that my involvement with these other instruments, it has to do with trying to situate the guitar relative to this whole history of stringed instruments. Like all these things kind of share a common ancestry. Right. And there are lots of uh, just ways of reconfiguring the same couple of ingredients. You know, a loop type instrument means you have a, a body and a neck and strings on it. And there are different ways, maybe a striking the strings or tuning the strings or something. And I like to uh, um, just to try to uh, kind of situate the, the steel string guitar particularly, um, which is a really young instrument. And the guitar in general is really young. I think maybe... Um, Uh, Robbie Basho, I think, was maybe the only person who had that kind of aspiration of really trying to consider the guitar and where it sits relative to all these other stringed instruments. If you listen to his stuff, you hear a lot of uh, Renaissance, like Renaissance and Baroque era, like European mm -hmm. stuff, and those Spanish kind of classical and flamenco guitar and Indian and Iranian music and all that. Whereas Faye, I think, was a lot more rooted in American traditional music. Um, and his... Uh, Technique was a lot, their technical approaches to the guitar were a whole lot different, too. kind of feel like they're almost two different lineages. It started there with Fahey and Basho. They seem very, very different like in terms of their personalities, in terms of their technical approaches to the guitar, and the sort of uh, aspirations that they had for what they were doing with it, and I think were um, fairly different. And Robbie especially had a tendency to just maybe... He had a hard time convincing anybody to take him seriously, it seems like. But at least in terms of some of the aspirations he had, whether he really lived up to it or not, I think in terms of aspirations he had, it was really something that deserves to be taken seriously. I think that this uh, approach to the guitar is something that um, is really the first time that people sat down with this, again, very young instrument and tried to kind of consider it for its own sake and to get as much out of it as it's uh capable of doing i know um fahey is often 
referred to as, you know, like a master of the steel string guitar, and certainly by uh, his devotees, if you will. But you're right, Basho def- definitely had a very different angle on it. I never really considered that he was exploring the greater roots of stringed instruments. So I'm going to have to go back to my records and uh, kind of apply that thinking uh, as, I, as I listen to them. There's this label that is applied of uh, American primitive, but it's, uh, you know, a lot of people who get lumped into the so-called American primitive box try to buck that title. Where do you stand with respect to that tag? Um, I don't know. I don't like to get hung up on any particular... Uh, like that, you know, that label isn't something that anybody or that Fahey or Robbie Basho or Leo Kotke or anybody like applied to their own music. It was something that was applied in the, the media. Certainly. So what Fahey was doing. And there's some, I mean, it, it's useful in a way. It refers to this tradition of primitive, uh, like on Reaver Zoe, the painter, it's called a kind of primitive painter because he was unschooled. He wasn't you know, trained in a academy or something like that. So it was this art music, kind of folk art music. It wasn't just like traditional folk music. It was something kind of deeper, more uh, more individualistic than that. It was unschooled and it was coming from outside of, you know, academic backgrounds. So in that sense, I do kind of consider myself part of that. Um, the American part, that's something maybe Robbie Basho tried to, well, I don't know. I was about to say, in terms of his like technical approach to the guitar, he definitely reached way out beyond America. But he, I mean, Fahey and Basho were both very much uh, kind of painting pictures of America, I think, from very different vantage points. Like you have the much more terrestrial kind of images of bridges and railroads and train tracks and so forth that come out in Fahey's music. And then with uh, Robbie Basho, there's something very much more kind of celestial about it. It evokes all the mountains and the plains and this kind of vastness of some of the American landscape. Um, And that is really important to me too. Again, growing up in uh, Tennessee where I've lived all my life until just a few years ago up there, we have a whole lot of uh, um, really beautiful natural scenery and a lot of traditional uh, music. I grew up uh, kind of halfway between Knoxville and Nashville. It's still very culturally Appalachian. So I have uh, you know, kind of roots in this traditional Appalachian music and a lot of gospel music, too. I grew up hearing a lot of stuff in church. My dad, even though he was showing me how to play Black Sabbath songs, he sang in the choir in church and in a gospel quartet. Yeah, so, I, I found a lot of, uh, you know, even traditional players and bluegrass players, they definitely like to rock out from time to time. So yeah. <laughs> the the contrast is is stark, but not not shocking at anymore i think you talk about traditional music and appalachian music are you mainly speaking about just things you heard in the environment in the home at local events or were there record collection that was feeding your brain at the time or i don't know i kind of uh for a long time didn't want much anything to do with the uh, I wasn't around a whole lot of like really traditional Appalachian folk. It was more like the more polished up country music that I was hearing on the radio and stuff like that. Okay. And I didn't really want much anything to do with that. I had a kind of, um, I don't know, I have some ambivalence about my own 
culture. I think a lot of people do who are like from small towns in rural America. Um, it's a lot of uh, um, people can be have really rigid norms about masculinity and femininity and about religion and all sorts of things. It can be really stifling to anybody who's different in a lot of ways. So I was into, like I said, metal and punk music from the time I was about 13 or 14 years old up until, until I got into college and started to discover some other stuff. I pretty much just listened to that. But getting back into the roots of all this music that I was hearing, like when I first started to hear Tommy Gerald and Ed and Hammonds and like some of the real old Appalachian stuff, that's kind of helped me. It helped me find some roots a little bit and make my way back into my own tradition in a way that I can actually find fulfilling. Uh, well, you know, it, it comes through. As a listener and somebody who's delved into Appalachian music, old-timey music, so-called American primitive music, country, bluegrass, rock, and all of that, it, you know, I, I can hear that line right into the mountains coming through your records. So, and yet you definitely push the boundaries. I mean, there, I listened to uh, the tape Aspirant, uh, mm. and, you know, that is not strictly string or Appalachian music by any means. It's definitely some experimental activity on there uh, that's, that's really satisfying and really interesting. I'm glad you liked that one. So uh, I'd like to play something for the listeners. We go. Would it be all right if I select something from Night Songs? That'd be fine. I, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. Oh, it's no problem. Thank you for getting in touch with me. So thank you very much.
So that was Leaving from Joseph Allred's release entitled Night Songs, available via gardenportal.bandcamp.com. Joseph's next album, O Meadowlark, is due out on July 5th on Feeding Tube Records. I really had a great time talking with him, and the guy clearly has a uh, pretty deep knowledge. So now we're going to talk to Eli Winter, a young player with great promise. His new full-length album, The Time to Come, came out on May 24th on Blue Hole Recordings. This record is entirely solo guitar, and it's a beaut. We'll hear some of it in a few, but first, let's listen to my chat with Eli Winter. I thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Uh, of course. Thanks so much been, for calling. I was really pleased to get to check out your album. Um, this is This is your first album, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yes. Very cool. And uh, just so everybody knows, the album, in case I haven't said it already in some sort of introduction, the album is called The Time to Come. And it is just you and guitar. Is that correct? That's what I hear. That sure is. Yes. Okay. So, um, and you're, if you forgive me for saying so, a fairly young player. Oh, mm-hmm. But you've been playing for how, how long? When did you start playing? Uh, I've been playing for the better part of seven years or so. Um, I'm I'm, go- I'm just ending my third year in college right now, and I um, started playing seriously my freshman year in high school. Okay. So about, not quite seven years, give or take. And what led you to this sort of guitar solely sort of thing? Were there specific influences, or were you just, is this just where you found yourself, or...? In terms of just how I happened on playing this music primarily? Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, I, um, I, I was pretty shy about singing for a long time. I, I do sing now when I, when I want to, which, you know, of course, was not for this record. <laughs> but, you know, maybe in the future. Um, but, um, you know, I, I was playing guitar for a long time, learning instrumental parts to songs but not feeling comfortable playing the songs in full singing on top of that and it didn't i just didn't really feel comfortable and um i 
had kept this list of music to listen to that was growing all all the time. Um, and on New Year's Day 2015, um, I, I, I'd heard so much talk about this Jack Rose character. I figured, well, I might as well listen to Kensington Blues at Midnight, and it's either gonna, I figured it's either going to click completely or it's going to just um, go right over my head. And then, as, a, as you'd figure, it completely clicked um, and, and kind of mystified me. And I was listening to that pretty much nonstop for a couple months or so. And then um, I first heard Daniel ba- Daniel Bachman's music about a month and a half later. Um, and he, he's a good friend. He's a close thing I have to a hero, really. And um, the, the, I think the combination of the music of those two guys um, was it really set me down the the path of wanting to focus on solo guitar music for a while. I'd heard Steve Gunn and Riley Walker um, a bit before then, and, and they're also, you know, huge influences and wonderful musicians. And, I'd, and I'm, I'm always kind of mystified by, by their playing, especially Riley. I mean, oh my God. But um, yeah, um, um, it, it was, gosh, um, this sort of a, well, as luck would have it, I happened on uh, on this music, and it came in a, came in such a way where it resonated right off the bat. This sort of thing does. I think it does that for people. It either some some path has led them here, and so they're already ready, or they don't even know, and it just kind of clicks over. Um, it's a little like uh, Grateful Dead, which is ostensibly the 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 topic of our podcast, although we're not. Oh, necessarily here to talk about them right now um <laughs> uh, <laughs> in that it, you know it's just it's something that that speaks to the mind you know it kind of it's an expansive there's an expansiveness to this music um even a record of solo guitar which could be described at times as sparse there's there's a rich harmonic harmonic depth and emotional depth and i hear that in what you're doing so uh which is terrific it's really it's really fun to listen to um went back to it again today when i was on the train and just you know i was reading a book about bluegrass but i put the book down and stared out the window listening and it just really captured the journey uh, that Aww. that motion and whatnot um Thank you so much. There is a label that often goes with this sort of music that I, I don't think I, I set out to do this, but I think I've been kind of actively debunking this label, which I think is okay. But uh, I'm sure you're aware of it. It's the the, the tag American Primitive. Um, where do you stand oh, yeah. with respect to that? Where do I stand with respect to that? Yeah, I mean, do you do you accept it? Is it something that you would you know, block some of the music you listen to into, or is it something that you would put in your own press releases or is it something you shy away from? Yeah. I mean, I, I support you debunking it completely. That's, that's awesome. I mean, I don't really, <laughs> I don't really mind it. Um, in, in the sense of it's an easy enough, um, label that people who understand, um, like say he or, Jack Rose is something um, is coming from a certain camp. Like, like the, what I'm doing, you know, this record is certainly similar enough to that um, tag that I think it'd be fair to call it as such if it 
if somebody are comfortable with it. But I mean, I think of, I mean, I think the, I mean, since I understand that the idea behind the name is, is fine, but of course the, the music that, you know, the way it tries to tag it, variety of different approaches to guitar music and uh, uh, through it feels reductive. I mean, Dan, like Daniel's music, especially his latest couple of records, I'd really think of more in, in mind with sort, sort of um, very loosely speaking, and maybe this isn't, isn't much better, but I, I'd, I'd classify that as sort of, you know, in sort of American experimental music traditions like Pauline Alaveros or Henry Flint or something. Um, and I don't think, I don't think, you know, my record is, is, um, quite abrasive enough for that in the same way but i um it, it feels more it, it's you know less helpful in a way but it feels more interesting to think of it as just um guitar music which is what i usually tell people i don't really have an elevator pitch i should, I should probably get one you know at some point I but <laughs> um, no i i don't i don't think yeah. you should I, honestly i think um yeah you could you know, accept labels people want to apply uh, gracefully, but you know, don't don't self-reduce. Um, it's a uh, I, I I've used it very casually that term over the years, oh, and I actually think it was the first time that it, it occurred to me that it, it didn't fit was when I, I read an interview with Daniel Daniel Bachman, who who said, "Yeah, I don't really." Or maybe I, it was a might have been a video interview where he said, you know, I don't really like that term. I don't really use it. I think more of it is, uh, I think, I think he called it Appalachian psychedelic, um, which is, I think a little tongue in cheek in itself, Yes. but, but there's something to it. And I think your point about the experimentalism, especially with his later rec, his latest record, which I mean, the first side, I don't, there's hardly any guitar in it at all. Yeah, so it's pretty, and when it is there, it's pretty buried in the mix too. Yeah, so it, there's something though. It's um, uh, I think the word visionary has sometimes been used for this kind of stuff, but that's that's sort of pretentious to self-apply. But um, I never yes. use it myself. <laughs> <laughs> no, totally. I mean, for him, I mean, the the sort of thing I've been doing. I I. I um, I also think about, you know, Pauline Oliveros or David Grubbs, who actually, interestingly, is a Chicago alumnus himself, and that's why I'm in school. Um, there, there's a sort of experimental thread running through his records or Pauline Oliveros records or something, and in a way that I, I see... It, it, it's not that I necessarily would put my music in the same camp, but I see it in, in conversation with those more so than with Seiki, who I've never really liked and I don't like, really. Um, which is maybe an uncommon take, at least among... My, my, my friend Will Chorba, who put who put the, this record out on Blue Hole, he's been trying to get me into Seiki for years and years, and it just hasn't happened, and I feel bad, you know? Yeah, um, he, um, you know, it's, it's, I don't hear that very often. But I think that Fahey has such a kind of a broad scope to the work he's done that I think it's very sure. easy to say, you know, I'm not into this, but maybe I'm into that. Or um, Right, of course. You know, but if you're not into one chunk of it, I could see also not exploring that the rest of the catalog. So uh, we'll allow it. 
<laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, you know, the thing, yeah, I mean, that's, that, that could be a dangerous thing to say in certain circles, you know. Right? Yeah, I could see that. Um, <laughs> but like I said, we'll we'll allow it. I, I I'm open minded to open mindedness, um, in that you, know, <laughs> you you don't have to love everything. Um, uh, Fe Fehi is a challenging individual as well. The more you know about the oh, individual, definitely. the easier it is to not love him per se. But um, yeah, I do like that his work is, particularly his early work, is very clearly rooted in in the blues, which, as time has passed and other folks have picking up the mantle or. Uh, the pick or whatever you want to call it uh, and carried forward we've moved a further and further away from traditional blues and folk sounds into uh, modern composition which I think is where we land uh, with your work and somebody like Daniel um, and, and even a fair amount of Jack Rose stuff is really very 21st century as opposed to connecting totally. directly back to early 20th. Mm -hmm. So going back again, you, you started playing, uh, you know, in high school and, um, it, but it was only a few years ago that you uh, got hip to Jack Rose and who, who were you listening to in the house? I mean, who, who did you, who were you listening to before that? Were you uh, like a, a heavy metal kid or were you yeah. <laughs> listening to popular music <laughs> or i mean i it, it there's no wrong answer here um, oh, of course. i'm just curious what what was what were you listening to before you picked up the guitar i mean honestly i think around before i played wholesale or just before i heard jack that before you played before you like sure. you know what so if you started playing <laughs> freshman year what were you listening to right. in middle school? Were you listening to pop music, or or did your parents pound Beatles okay. into your head? Or Be Beatles were big. My, okay. my my dad pounded the Beatles in for Isaac, my twin brother Isaac and I, and also you know Birds, Buffalo Springfield, Neil, Neil Young's first few records, um, or really I guess second and third, not the first record. Um, Guitar Hero was big for me in fifth grade, and I, I, I was completely addicted. Um, the, 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 this feels like a better addiction, definitely. You, um, you know, but you might be the first person that I've talked to who uh, that is a guitar player, uh, who was a guitar hero player prior. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's more <laughs> out there, but not just on air, but in just in life, uh, I I don't think I've met anybody yet uh, that huh. I'm aware of who who has charted that course. Uh, successfully even because I, I think I think you've really come into something so oh, that's, that's worthy of note no for sure yeah I mean one, you know one of my um, you know I'm from Houston one of my best friends was telling us one time about going to an Astros game we're all Astros fans my family and um, he was talking about watching this like five-year-old kid on a Megatron scoreboard um, busting out you know there's that one. I think it was that one. The the it's it's the song. It's it, it it's like the 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 final song in the third Guitar Hero game, through the fire and the flames. It's it's totally one of those like metal songs that just has like cheap thrills and stuff. And and <laughs> and, and, and my friend was like, oh man, I thought it'd be I think it'd be so cool to do that. And his parents kind of like, I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> you know. But I mean, that sort of 
you know, the sort of silliness of getting really, really about it aside, I mean, that game really exposed me to it. Just enough music that I wouldn't have otherwise heard that it set me down paths to get into, like, television and, you know, the Discord bands. And I guess around the time I would have started playing guitar, I would would have started going back and forth between like Elliot Smith and Nick Drake on one side and like Drive Like Jehu and Fugazi on the other. That's that's an awesome set right there. So, yeah. yeah, it would have been like really in, cool. in those two. Thank you. So. And it would have been in, the, in between those two. Sort of that would be sort of the spectrum. Okay, well, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure if those draw exactly into focus into what we hear on your record, but uh, I, really, I really love hearing <laughs> these disparate influences, but because they do come together, you know, they're, they're in there. And, uh, and as, a, uh, as a DC area guy, I, I got to raise a fist for Fugazi. So that's, that's pretty rad. Oh, um, Rise of Spring, Miner's Threat. Yeah, yeah. Moss Spe- Icon. Yeah, speaking our local language here. Um, <laughs> all right, well, Eli, it's been a pleasure talking. I, I want to just say again, I really love this record. And um, the album, if everybody listening, is The Time to Come. And do you have a particular track you think we should play for everybody? Probably knock it out. Okay, cool. Yes. Yeah, yeah that's that a good one. one. So yeah, yeah we'll, we'll put that on and uh, here in a second. And the the record is out now. Is that right? Right. Okay. And I'll tell everybody where they can find it. Um, of course. And yeah, thank you again. Of course. Yeah. And anybody in the D.C. area or East Coast, Midwest, I'll be rolling through on tour in the middle of September. Oh, excellent. Well, you'll have to keep me posted and I'll see if I can uh, put a link up to, you've got a website or a band camp that we can get everybody yes, to. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, and then they can find it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you.
and that was Knock It Out from The Time to Come by Eli Winter. That record is out now on Blue Hole Recordings. So great, sounds beautiful. You can find it at elywinter.bandcamp.com and also check out elywinter.com. Now, John Camp released his latest album, Headwinds and Tailwinds, last fall, and it's a great one. Playing with a band, Camp brings a little bit of a different sound than what we've yet heard, but not so far off either. Also, it's delightful. Let's get into the conversation, and I'll play a little bit of that on the end. I hope you'll indulge me a little, and uh, maybe you could tell folks who are listening how we met, because it's yeah. amusing. That's right. So, so we met because I've been a listener. So, so I've listened to every single episode of your podcast, of Broke Down Podcast. Some of them uh, more than once, especially the the, the seventy two and the seventy three and uh, maybe the seventy nine uh, have, have spoken to me. And uh, I reached out to you. I think how we met is I reached out to you uh, to to let you know about my. Oh no no no! We where we met in person was at the Rhizome show for uh, wet tuna exactly and and uh, you were sitting in front of me and and i recognized the voice and uh i asked you if you were uh the guy who runs broke down podcasts and you were and uh and that was how we met yeah that was this that was cool and and then a uh, short time after that you reached out and said hey check out this record i made that's and, that's uh, exactly right yeah I, mean, I remember i will say that i remember we had a nice chat and it was of course a pleasure to meet you and uh likewise and, and anybody out there if you think you know if you think you recognize me or know me you should say hi because i like yeah that. but um yeah, so you reached out and said, I, I got this record, you should check it out. And there's, of course, this quarter of my brain that was like, okay, here we go. <laughs> but uh, but yeah. honestly, I mean, that's that's actually, that's uh, it's happened a couple other times, and it's hardly uh-huh. ever gone wrong. And in this nice. case, I was really impressed. Appreciate so, it. That record, for everybody out there, is called Headwinds and Tailwinds. Yeah. And uh, after a couple of listens, I, I mean, I had to I get the, get the physical LP, which uh, I, I still regularly spin. I really dig it. I appreciate that. I'm glad you like it, and uh, and yeah, and then we also then ran into each other at the Elkhorn show. Yeah, that was cool. uh, in DC a month or so ago, which was great. Yeah, you put to put to the test my uh, possible face blindness, which uh, <laughs> my wife <laughs> sure. is very concerned about. But um, <laughs> yeah, so the the record is great, and it's um, there's a group playing on this, or there are multiple people. Is this a band or just an assortment of collaborators yeah I, I would say it's it's for the most part a band so i've got a few key members first first i play shows sometimes i play solo shows if i'm if i'm traveling and i'd say probably half of my shows are solo shows but then the other half are with a band and in the dc area i've got a, a band that i play with um this guy nick arrivo on bass and then um my friend Ryan Peterson, who plays on drums, we met uh, when we were like 18 in, in Illinois, uh, scooping ice cream at a shopping mall uh, for at Edie's Ice Cream, and now we're now we're bandmates, and nice. uh, and so they're the ones who who joined me on the record, and they're they're essentially the core. And then for DC shows, I've got a guitarist Dave Jones who joined me, and then for the recording, I had a, a cello player who I've known for a while, and a, and a keyboard player who I've known for a while. Oh, and then I've also got a pedal steel player, Jamie Linder, who uh, played on the record and who plays shows with me. I'm a sucker for the pedal steel. Let me just say that yeah. out loud. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, he's a he's a killer pedal steel player, and uh, 
so so it, it keeps it interesting by doing solo shows sometimes and then sometimes uh, having a band and they, they each have their you know their their merits yeah solo is probably easier to travel with of course um, it's much easier to travel with you don't have to rent a, a van uh, you know but 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 you don't also have the glory of playing with others and uh, you know the humor and the and the joy that comes with that you know, I talked with somebody else for this, Andy McLeod, and yeah. he, he uh, has one record that has, you know, a group of mm-hmm. his uh, collaborators at the time, his friends and whatnot at the time. And we talked a little bit about how in this so-called American primitive genre um, that we're, we're going to have to dig into here in a minute. But uh, yeah, it, it's not unprecedented. I mean, Fahey had records with a band on it, mm-hmm. uh, but it's not. It's also not the most common. I mean, I think the most common thing people think of is the guitar solely sort of style. And you kind of move between the two on this record even. In fact, the yeah. very first track seems to kind of bridge right from starting from just a solo guitar into kind of a bigger piece. That's right. Yeah, I would say uh, uh, American, quote unquote, you know, American primitive, I would say is uh, a part of my listening diet and it's it's um but but i would say it's uh it's one one of the many things i listen to and, and i'm also really influenced by you know classic rock the the dead the birds uh, new riders stuff like that and uh and a lot of other different music you know jazz and and uh and so um i i guess the the i'm, I'm american primitive in the way that i play guitar with in which I use my my thumb to to do a bass you know the bass notes and my other fingers to play the melodies um but I like to bring in these other elements and um so yeah it's 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 worked and and uh I'm grateful for that yeah I was uh thinking that you kind of bridge you form sort of a connection between that guitar solely American primitive and so some of the more uh modern visionary or psychedelic guitar groups and things like that i Um, hope so and and i've been pleasantly surprised i i i um i like that i can keep bringing different instruments into the into the sound and it adds like um sometimes i'll have my friend todd sheeler come and play shruti box on it or i've got the pedal steel and and um i guess i'm trying to make music that can work well in in a solo context but also could work well in in a band setting so when did you start playing? Yeah, I started playing about 30 years ago. I, uh, I had a friend who taught me how to play uh, Iron Man, and, uh, and I uh, easily picked it up, and I thought that I was a natural. Later, I found out that Iron Man is uh, pretty easy to play. You know, it's a killer <laughs> riff, but it's pretty easy, and I convinced my parents to buy me a guitar and, for Christmas and then uh, have been playing uh, pretty, pretty consistently um, during that time, I studied music in school and music theory and jazz studies and guitar studies and um, have been doing it kind of by myself until about five-ish years ago. I decided that uh, I had a bunch of songs written and I had been uh, just kind of keeping this to myself and, and I had a few things. One was a severe case of Lyme disease and and, um, and I came where, where I was in the hospital for 10 days and I, and I thought about you know, what are some things that I, 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 I guess it kind of made me realize that life's short and, and to do the things that really matter to you. And, and one of the things that always mattered to me was doing something with music. So 
started getting out more and, and playing more and writing and, and putting music out and, and um, fortunately meeting like-minded musicians and playing with them and, and uh, having music be a, a key part of my life over the last five to six years where I'm playing out has been a, a true joy and something that, you know, has become an essential part of my life. So how much does improv come into your music? I would say most of when, I, when I'm playing, most everything is composed. So, so there, are some, there are some parts when I'm playing live, there are some parts where uh, we might go an extra measure or two that we, we kind of base when we go to the next part on feel. And sometimes uh, some part might last uh, 30 seconds, sometimes it might last 45 seconds, you know. But, but for the most part, we're sticking with a composition. Um, there are certain parts where we stretch out a little, and, and uh, especially with a band, and, and there's some improvisation, but I would say that for the most part, it's pretty pure composition with a little flexibility. And, and I would say for improv, you know, I guess writing, everything is improv because I just sit down and I mess around with things, and, and then some, uh, some tune develops, and then I, I work on that and, and refine it, you know. But cool. but um, I certainly I certainly listen to a lot of music that's improv heavy. Um, but, you know, even like the dead, which we'll get to the stuff that I like just as much as the long jams are there is their songwriting and their 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 short songs, too. So, so when you mentioned the birds, one of the things that popped in my head was the uh, untitled, the eight miles uh, high. Uh, oh, are, yeah. you, are you a guy who like skips right to that? Oh, um, well, that well I, I like that whole record. Uh, I, I oh, like no, I the... like. <laughs> yeah, the rest of it's good too, but I'm, yeah. I start uh, with that, that one is killer. It's it's the combo of uh, Roger McGuinn with the the twelve electric twelve string, and then Clarence White tearing it up with a B bender. Yeah. Um, I've I've had a B bender installed into one of my guitars as a as a result of uh, Clarence White's influence. But but cool. um, yeah, I would say that that version of Eight Miles High is is you know uh, I, I would put in one of my favorite pieces of recorded music uh but but yeah and and i think that untitled's a really good album and the whole clarence white era is a is a pretty glorious era for the birds that sometimes gets overlooked for their uh maybe their more commercial stuff fair point uh, yeah that i think the first time i heard that i was at a friend's house and mm-hmm. he put the record on and he went straight to eight miles high so he put it on yeah and he said tell me when you get it and i was well, it sounds a little like the birds, but I don't know this. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. damn it. <laughs> yeah, it's I had a lucky guess that... of the Rickenbacker sound at the very beginning, the little yeah. jangle, and then it goes out. Uh, no, yeah, you're such right. A, such a great track. Yeah, and I think it's um, almost exclusively instrumental, too, which is just an interesting approach to that song. Yeah, I mean, it's they finally come around to it at the very, you know, after a right. long improv, which is just right. So yeah. So speaking of bands that jam, um, yeah. you know, you've already mentioned the Grateful Dead, and I was coming into this with a little foreknowledge, so I was excited that you might be the guy who I could uh, <laughs> could ask of all yeah. of the guests here. Where yeah. do you see all of this, this so-called American primitive, guitar solely kind of musics connecting to Grateful Dead? Yeah, there, there are a couple ways. So, so one is just this bringing in this diversity of influences to make this kind of new coherent uh, whole. So, so for example, John Fahey was bringing in Delta Blues and Balinese 
gamelan music and and uh, um, Indian classical music and and the the. 20th century classical music like Charles Ives and uh, Bartok and and um, then you had the dead who were also bringing in bluegrass and and Phil brought in this uh, you know the the 20th century classical music and the R&B and uh, and so it's it's and it's also combining kind of old-time American music with modern uh, kind of avant-garde tendencies I guess and and so uh, I, you know I think that's that's both Fahey and and the Dead do that. Uh, you know, I was thinking there are some other there are some other things. They both had their own record label, <laughs> you know, or at least like Fahey and, and the Grateful Dead uh, probably both didn't make them a ton of money. Uh, um, uh, I, yeah, what Fah- were you going to say? Fahey and Jerry both uh, were tapped to play on Zabriskie Point soundtrack. Too. I was going to yeah, I was going to mention that that was another parallel. And I think uh, Fahey uh, recorded, and then it was kind of had a rocky relationship with the director, and then maybe Jerry came in a little later, I think. Yeah, according to Fahey's book, he had punched out Antonioni, and uh, that didn't yeah. end well. But uh, that is, shall we say, apocryphal, maybe? That's right. It's, uh, yeah. it's unclear. Uh, Jerry is not known for punching out uh, film directors, though, so I, I guess his experience went a little better. Uh, but we didn't get a lot of that kind of work from Jerry, which is uh, probably a, a, a sh- damn shame, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in terms of other areas, uh, I, I've thought about that. And um, I think that one of the, I, I mean, I, I think it really comes down to just being wide open to a diversity of influences. They also kind of were uh, unwittingly created their own genre. So, you know, uh, American Primitive was something that I think John Fahey threw as a title to, to not be classified as a, as a folk musician. And, you know, even modern day jam bands, I don't think the, the, you know, the Grateful Dead set out necessarily to be a, a jam band. And, and there, you've got these kind of, these, these genres that have developed over what might've ultimately been you know, an accident. They were just creating their own sound. And I would say that for most of the, the modern day American primitive guitarists that maybe not trying to be necessarily an American primitive guitarist is just these these are influences and, and by, you know, virtue of playing a certain way it, you you kinda get lumped into into that. Yeah, and I'm guilty of doing the lumping even right here in this episode. Uh, I'm bringing oh, in people who, you know, uh, to to a person so far in the conversations I've had, they kind of at least half buck the title, and I don't blame them. Uh, yeah. But there's, you know, what other what other no, thread can I put between these? No, I, I agree, and and I would also only put myself as half bucking it because it's it's certainly convenient to to um, to and and there's certainly parallels, and there there's a reason why um, uh, certain fingerstyle guitarists would be more compared to each other than like them and. Ingve Malmsteen or something, you know, it's, it's, there, right. there's a reason that these, these, uh, guitarists are being lumped together. And I think John Fahey and the influence of those and Robbie Basho and, and, uh, similar guitarists are, are, are the common thread. And, and, um, you know, I think that, I think that's fine. Yeah. Uh, well, you make great points. And, uh, Robbie Basho is one who's not, um, 
he's not spoken about enough, I think, although he's certainly mm-hmm. widely respected. Uh, I, I don't see enough people really point to him. I think it's very easy that people just go to go to Fahey and they kind of live there and, and there's plenty of material and a plenty of good reason to do so. But Bashir's yeah. really throws a there, um, kind of wider angle on the whole thing. Agreed. There's so many avenues to explore. So for the for the you know '60s, you've got Fahey and Robbie Basho and Peter Lang and Leo Kotke and and a whole bunch of others from the Tacoma label. And then um, you know in the the as we got closer to the 20th century, you've got Jack Rose and and now there's just this proliferation of killer fingerstyle guitarists and and you know um i would say i i listen to just as much of all of that other stuff as i do fahey these days probably just because i've listened to so much fahey but there's you you know there there's uh there's a lot to explore for for anyone digging into this yeah there really is and um i think we'd be remiss not to mention say daniel bachman as uh, oh yeah one of although he he's very much one of those who would knock away the American primitive title he would go for something more like uh, Appalachian psychedelic or okay. something like that yeah again I think it's 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 half tongue in cheek as much as it is serious uh, just because you know they're just labels they're just hopefully just a way to get people to go oh there might be a thread here and no I think that's it. essentially that's essentially what it is you know the the, the pure thing is the music and and the label is is uh, used for convenience, but I think it's it's you know there's nothing wrong with that, and I, I would rather more people find out about this music by following this thread than you know yeah. being being super difficult about it. <laughs> so yeah. let's talk more about Grateful Dead. In that, uh, do you do you have any suggestions of what we might play? I mean, we've yeah uh, you know we've talked to several great players and got some of their music, and we're going to play. Oh well, before we get to that. What should we play from your record? Yeah, I, I would say you know I, I think the title track uh, it's a it's a longer one so you're it's fine if you do an excerpt but <laughs> but uh, I think the title track Headwinds and Talons probably would be the one that would be more appealing to Deadheads and that it stretches out a little and and cool uh, yeah yeah we'll we'll play that for everybody and Appreciate then it. Um, then we'll, uh, it's going to be time to get into some Grateful Dead. Do you have any any suggestions? Anything? Yeah, so. So what I've been doing is I've been going year by, I've been taking one year at a time. And, and recently, last year, I had explored 77. And right now, I'm going back to the beginning and exploring 66. I'm going to start taking it chronologically forward. Oh, wow. Uh, I think if I were to be on a desert island, I'd probably go with something from 73, like a, like a um, China Cat Rider to, to or, or like a Eyes of the World, you know. Um, I uh, from '77. I really like um, I like the Terrapin Stations from from that year. It just been introduced, and and I think that's a killer one. Uh, I think sometimes that musicians kind of in my camp maybe diss the the Cowboy Bobby stuff, and and I'm, I'm a huge fan of that. So so maybe an El Paso from '77, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and '66. The one that I just recently heard was. Uh, was May 19th of 66, and that was, uh, I guess, special to me because it was 10 years precisely before I was born, and uh, and it's just, uh, I thought it was the first real killer dead show that I heard from from their, their early years. So, so there were some, some um, you know, a sped up, I know Uriah was pretty cool, um, yeah. and uh, 
um, yeah, there there were some. I think standing on a corner, standing on the corner was was an uh, an an old one that they never recorded on a studio album, which I thought was pretty rocking. So so yeah, those are ones tune. that just yeah yeah those are ones that just jump at me right now. Right on. Well, I think uh, you know I may uh, reach into that grab bag and find something and uh, nice maybe find something else to go with it and uh, yeah yeah that'll be pretty cool yeah. Well, John, thank you so much for coming on, talking about your music, talking about Grateful Dead. You know, I yeah. always like to do that. And um, I will link everybody to where they can find your music. And we're going to leave them with the title cut from your record, which is Headwinds and Tailwinds. Cool. I really appreciate it, Jonathan. Like I said, I'm a huge fan of this podcast. And it was a, a true joy to get your message uh, asking me to come on. So, so thank you so much. Oh, that's kind of you. Thank you.
All right, so that was Headwinds and Tailwinds from the album of the same name by John Camp. It's available at johncamp.bandcamp.com. He spells that J-O-N like a good person should. Immediately after I spoke to John, I got an email from him, and with his permission, I'm going to share this with you. Quote, The one point I forgot to make about the connections between American Primitive and the dead is that both tend to value feeling over virtuosity. Both Garcia and Fahey were masterful guitarists, but the technique seemed to be a tool for expression, not an end of itself. If there was a way to say something minimally, that was a good choice. I've also found this attitude with those in the modern-day American Primitive camp. Technique is certainly valued, but the emotional resonance matters more. He's spot on with that, I gotta say. So I'm glad he sent that addendum along. That is as good as anything I could tell you before we swing over from all of that fabulous music. I hope you will check out more from those guys. Hit me up if you need other recommendations in that vein as well. Let's get into some Grateful Dead. I worked off of John's suggestions and kind of went digging around for something to play for you. Took me a minute to settle on something, but here we go. First up, we go to 1973, the County Coliseum in El Paso, Texas. November 73 is known for some smoking shows, and while I'm not giving you one of those uh, uh, playing Uncle John's Morning Dew, Uncle John's playing things, uh, we do have for you a pretty hot bit of China Rider. Um, after that, we're going to swing the knob forward a bit to 1977, also November, and a kick-ass bit of second set action with a Terrapin station into Estimated Profit into the other one from Kobo Arena in Detroit, Michigan on November 1st, 1977. That's going to take us out. So with all that, I'll let you guys go. Do me a favor. Be sure, if you don't already, follow us on Twitter or Instagram at BrokeDownPod. Check out the Facebook, which is Brokedown Podcast. You can uh, you could really do me a huge favor and Go on to your iTunes podcast app and send us a review. Hit all the stars, what have you. Much appreciated. And until next time, be well.
that will not forsake me till my tale is told.
Osiris. 